Couldn't make a centering pass. Kings the other way. Kovalchuk speeds up the right wing. Around one man and then goal and scores! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. As the play moves up the ice to Foley in front, Pearson scores! Kings off the rush. To Foley to the middle for Pearson, and L.A. leads 2-1. to one. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Uh, look, the Kings lost both of their split squad games last night. By now, I'm sure you've seen the score. There's not a ton to say about either one of them. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk gets his first goal in a Kings jersey. That's the good news. Johnny Brodzinski may be injured. That is the bad news. Hopefully, we'll find out that he's not terribly injured later today. Um, but look, either way, um, I know it's fun to go on social media and overreact to all of this, but let's just remind ourselves, and I, this is directed at me <laughs> more than you, uh, it is just the preseason. These games don't matter. It, they're just trying to work out the chemistry issue, so they lose uh, by a lopsided score. Again, not much to say about it. We're still about two weeks away from caring about the results of games. In the meantime, we've got a conversation today with Sean Ramjangsing from EA Sports about NHL 19, the changing landscape of video games, uh, including my addiction to Fortnite. But first, Mike Canmito with This Week in King's History and a very special guest that I teased earlier uh, in the week. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now for another segment of This Week in King's History, it's Mike Comito. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well, Jesse, and you? I'm excellent, thank you. What do you got for us this week? Well, this week uh, we have the unveiling of Bailey the mascot on September 21st, 2007. And so I think this is a great one. It's a, I think it should be a fun episode this week, but it also ties into the episode that we had, or the segment we had last week on and This Week in King's History when we talked about uh, Ace Bailey and Mark Bavis uh, when they had passed away mm-hmm. uh, during during 9-11 and, and subsequently uh, the Kings introduced a, a mascot in 2007 and they obviously named him after Ace Bailey. Again, we talked about Bailey uh, in the previous segment and how he was involved uh, with the Kings organization as director of scouting and, and I think that having Bailey pay tribute to his legacy not only with the team but off the ice, the, the type of personality he had, I think that, that, uh, that uh, it's, it's a fitting way to honor his legacy. The Kings had uh, a mascot previously, uh, Kingston, but he was retired in the what early to mid '90s. Uh, then Bailey shows up in 2007. What can you tell us about Bailey? Well, uh, Bailey's a character, as we know, as again as most Kings fans know. I think he's probably, uh, as, as his Twitter bio I think uh, alludes to, is the sassiest lion. Uh, obviously in the NHL, um, we know that he, he wears number 72 because that's the average temperature in LA. And he's originally from the MGM grand lion habitat in Las Vegas. And what really drew him to the Kings was after, you know, catching the frozen fury game in 2000 or 2007, you know, he really wanted to join the Kings organization. You know, they didn't really have a fit for him on the ice, but obviously maybe they, they found a spot for him as the team's mascot. That all sounds that sounds plausible, but uh, I wanted to find out if all of these things we know about Bailey are true. And so, as a surprise for Kings fans, 
I invited Bailey to join us on the podcast. Bailey, are you there? One drum, uh, one bank. There you go. There he is. That's Bailey with his drum. Uh, Bailey, we're going to go ahead and ask you if some of the facts we have about you are true. Uh, one, one bang of your drum for yes, two for no. Uh, do you understand, Bailey? <laughs> All right, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> uh, Bailey, is it true that your favorite song is The Lion Sleeps Tonight? Oh, oh, <laughs> Mike! It looks like uh, controversy. Yeah, it looks like the facts. Uh, the fact sheet is incorrect. Uh, Bailey, is it true one pound for yes, two pounds for no that your favorite food uh, favorite foods are shark tacos, roasted duck, and barbecued coyote? <laughs> All right, so that that fact is correct. That checks out. Always, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very true. Apparently. <laughs> Mike, you want to ask him some questions? Well, yeah, I guess on on that note, when you asked about whether or not uh, his favorite foods are uh, correct, will you be adding us? Will you be adding smoked uh, Gila Monster to your menu this this season? Ooh, all the Knights fans! Yeah, chances on the menu. Uh, Bailey, least uh, or team you're most scared of heading into this season? One pound for the for the Knights, two pounds for the Sharks, eight pounds for you're not scared of anybody. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, uh, now, Bailey, uh, true or false? Uh, one pound for true, two pounds for false. You had blocked me on Twitter at one point. <laughs> that is in fact true uh but uh, we what squat. did you do jesse <laughs> well i had some choice thoughts about that uh, <laughs> uh, bailey is correct and <laughs> pounding on the drum uh, i had some i had some incorrect thoughts about mascots that uh bailey over the years has uh, yeah. <laughs> has changed my mind about <laughs> well, it, it's good. It's good of him to unblock you, and then also join join us on the the segment this week. <laughs> it's very kind of him, <laughs> uh, Bailey. Uh, one pound for yes, two pounds for no. Uh, are, do you and Kingston get along pretty well? And uh, it, was he welcomed you as his uh, predecessor uh, as the king's mascot? Uh, second question: Do you like it when people uh, ride your ATV? Uh, uh, anybody that doesn't work? With no, you do not. Although I think you, oh, I think you let uh, was it Alex Ovechkin ride it once? And uh, were you okay with that? <laughs> Soft, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, your uh, your low fives with Andre Kopitar was that scripted or did that? He like, likes those. He does, yeah. Did those develop organically, or do you and Kopi uh, uh, practice those? Uh, one for practice, two for developed organically. Oh, okay. And uh, is Goostal afraid of you? One for yes, two for no. Are any of the King's Dogs afraid of you? One for yes, two for no. No, okay, that's excellent, Mike. Any other questions? Oh yeah, I've got I've got a few questions. Let's okay, let's hear. So uh, so in the spirit of of talking about the NHL's other mascots, Bailey, as you know, uh, the Senators' mascot is also a lion named Spartacat. Is the NHL big enough for two kings of the jungle? Whoa, no, no, it, no it's not. Okay, 
Interesting. So in, in that same uh, vein, uh, polar bears are the largest land carnivores on Earth. Uh, the Maple Leafs mascot is, is Carlton the bear. Could you take on Carlton the bear, even though polar bears are much bigger than lions? A definitive Ooh. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then and the, another one uh, for me, again, sticking with this mascot theme, uh, Harvey the Hound, I, who I believe is the, the first NHL mascot, that's the Flames mascot. <laughs> Has Harvey the Hound ever given you advice on how to deal with disgruntled coaches? He has, it sounds like. He has. Do do you get along with the rest of the mascots? I know they send you out to a lot of, uh, you know, events, you know, all-star games, etc. You you wind up hanging out with the rest of them. Do all the mascots pretty much get along? (laughs) Was that a (laughs) so-so? Um, is there one mascot that, uh, you don't have to tell us who, but is there one mascot that the rest of the mascots don't like that's the sort of pariah of the mascot community? Oh, all right. <laughs> we'll have to figure that one out. Bailey, I'm curious, on an average game day, uh, one one pound for every hour of the day, what time do you usually show up to Staples Center before a game? Seven o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> for a night game? Well, I know for a fact that that's not true. <laughs> Bailey, how many kids will you see on an average uh, night? <laughs> and how many hugs and high fives do you uh, do you get from the fans? Lots of hugs and high fives. <laughs> Lots of hugs and high fives. <laughs> All right, Mike, any questions before we let Bailey go back to the jungle? Uh, is Hunter as terrifying in real life as he appears? <laughs> oh. What, was that a yes or a no? Oh. <laughs> sounds it like could maybe. be a resounding yes or it could be a resounding no. <laughs> yeah. It's unclear, but uh, I, I think he's still pretty scary looking. So, <laughs> Bailey, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Mike, I want to thank you as always for joining us. Thanks, Jesse. I don't think we'll be able to top this. <laughs> no, we'll talk. We'll talk to you next week. All right, take it easy. EA Sports it's in the game. Joining me now from EA Sports lead producer NHL 19, Sean Ramjangsing, better known as Rammer. How are you doing today, Rammer? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Every year. Um, I blame you for getting me back into the world of video games. We've talked about that in the, in the past seasons. Um, this year, before we get into the game, I want to talk a little bit about your path into the world of, of not only video games, but hockey. So uh, I think you grew up in uh, in Vancouver. Is that correct? Or, or the, that's, the Pacific yeah, Northwest? Yeah, that's right. Born, uh, born and raised. That's right. Born and raised in Vancouver um, and lived there pretty much my entire life at the exception of a small stint by Played some professional basketball overseas, but uh, yeah, born and raised in Vancouver. Is that is that true? You played professional basketball overseas? Uh, yeah, I played a, I played a league down in New Zealand. I was there for a season, came back, and uh, you know, uh, while well, waiting for my next contract, ended up uh, getting a job in video games. And to be honest, just kind of raised the bar for what it would take me to go back overseas and play more. I was uh, I think self aware enough to understand the NBA was not my future. <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, and I, I you know I started making games and working in the world of sports games and just loved it and uh, haven't looked back. I, I hate for this to be the next question, but I, I have to ask it. Um, I know you're tall, but I guess I never yeah. I never knew how tall. Uh, uh, yeah, the question uh, gets really often. I'm, I'm, I'm six sure. eleven. Six eleven. And, I'm sorry uh, to have probably, to ask it again. You know about seven. No problem. About seven, probably seven two on skates, I guess. When I when I lace them up, so uh, yeah, good reach. <laughs> what what, uh, what was it like playing in a, in a foreign country? I mean, I know New Zealand is probably one of the more similar. Um, it's Commonwealth country. They speak English, but I mean, still on the other side of the planet. What what was that like? Yeah, you really, um, you know, very much like Vancouver. Uh, you know, the culture very much like Canada. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, you know, the basketball was fun. It was a relatively short season, only five, it was a five month season. But, uh, I mean, the people down there were just unbelievable, super welcoming. Uh, you know, the, the, the town that I lived in, you know, loved basketball as well. As long as rugby wasn't going on, they loved basketball. Uh, it was just, it was a fantastic, fantastic experience. And I, I, I look forward to kind of getting back down there one day and, uh, showing my family around the, uh, around the country. It's a, it's a beautiful place. I highly, highly recommend visiting. So you come back home. Uh, and you say you got into video games. When you were growing up, were you a kid that always had the newest console, that always kept up with the games? Were you a, a gamer as a kid? Um, I, I wouldn't say I was a hardcore gamer as a kid. I grew up as a, I love tech. I love technology. I mean, I started playing games. My first, you know, my my first computer was a VIC twenty, um, and I started playing games on that. I put the cartridge in and hit press play on the tape, let it load for about thirty seconds, <laughs> um, and then I started. It came with, a, I remember it came with a manual where you, you, you entered about what felt like 200 pages worth of code and then hoped that it ran. Uh, so I was just, I loved, I loved technology uh, before sort of really getting into games. I don't think it was, you know, probably wasn't really until uh, university for me where I started, I would say I, I became like a true, true kind of gamer and, and really just enjoyed uh, the competition. And mainly is what brought me to games is the competition of sports games specifically. And, you know, when I was in university, um, you know, with my roommate and I, we would, we would, you know, literally play NHL or play Madden and play NBA live, uh, for all the chores around the apartment. And we had to clean the, uh, <laughs> clean the bathrooms and do the dishes and everything. I thought we, we just competed for everything. And then video games was, uh, another outlet for us to compete. Um, I have to reveal a bit of my ignorance here. Was the Vic 20, was that a predecessor to the Commodore 64? Uh, you are absolutely correct. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who had absolutely every bootleg game possible on the, on the Commodore 64. So, okay, so you, you, you get into games, you start playing them. How do you make the transition from liking games, playing them against your friends, to working for a company that makes video games? How, you know, that's, I, it's an obviously an industry that's exploding right now. So I think people would be curious to know um, what one of the paths. Yeah, I think be. it's, um, yeah, and it actually, so it actually goes back for me. So I started working, uh, I started formally working in games um, in like in late 1999. Um, at a smaller company called Radical, Enter Radical Entertainment, but it goes back like even my in my university days, uh, Electronic Arts being right in Vancouver, um, and us uh, me play, playing basketball and going to school at Simon Fraser University it was like you know a 15 20 minute drive to the studio, and just when you know, this is 1994 95, so think NBA Live 95, NHL 94 had just come out, um, and you know, uh, the industry was so young back then. Um, and a lot of the people that were developing the game, the sports game specifically, uh, just didn't have the inherent kind of sports knowledge to talk about, you know, to be able to 
truly understand what authenticity was from a sport perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first, my first job in games, uh, a group of us would go down there every summer for five days a week for, you know, eight, nine hours a day. And we would just play the latest version of, uh, of the basketball game at the time. And at the end of the day, the producer would come in and we'd give feedback and we'd tell them what's authentic, what's not authentic, what we liked, what we didn't like. And we do that the entire summer. So it was my first kind of exposure to the world of games and, 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 and the business of the games. Uh, which is fascinating. But I still had no idea that uh, it was a it was a path that I ended up taking. And then when I came back from playing, um, well, I was playing university, and I had a couple of buddies of mine who had some uh, some friends that were in the industry already in the games industry, and they had gone down the path of um, working uh, on a basketball title, ESPN basketball title at Radical Entertainment. And same thing, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, a lot of the guys that are down here with me right now in Orlando, uh, who head up all different sports titles for us. Um, got in the same way. We got in, you know, in the early 2000s, and we got in because we had sports knowledge. We loved games. We, more importantly, though, we brought, um, you know, insider knowledge about the sport, and we could talk about the motion of the characters and what it should look like and what it should feel like and the atmosphere. Um, and that was really our in. And so, um, you know, my buddy Sean was working at Radical on basketball, and he had just moved over to go to uh, um, to, to EA to work on the NBA Live game. Uh, Cam Weber, who now heads up, heads up our EA Sports group here. Um, you know, kind of took over Sean's job at Radical Entertainment, and um, I kind of threw my resume in there. And to be honest with you, again, I you know I was waiting for my next contract to go play basketball. I went down there and I met him for lunch. And, and and growing up, you have this you know this perception of what work is. You know, you yeah. you you know you have fun, you go to school, you mm-hmm. play sports, and then once all that stuff's done, then you got to get a job and go and grind <laughs> it out. Yeah. And, uh, and and so I, you know you want to push you want to put that off as long as you possibly can because you have this perception from you know, your, your, your family, your friends, your parents, and people around you, what work is. And I went down, I met, these, I met the guys, my buddies, for lunch down there in, in you know, downtown Vancouver, Yale Town. It's a beautiful part of the city. Summertime, walk in the office, and guys are wearing shorts, T-shirts. There's a wall full of food that's free for all the employees. There's a keg of beer on, uh, on the counter in the kitchen for people to drink whenever they wanted, a candy wall as well. And it was just um, it, 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 I, I remember it like yesterday. I was like, I can't believe that this is uh, an atmosphere that people actually work in. People call this work. <laughs> they come in here at whatever time, literally whatever time they want. We we then took a two and a half hour lunch, had a few beers at lunch while they're working. Uh, then they come back and they work for much more, you know a bunch more hours. But the, the flexibility and the schedule and the, the casualness, but the, uh, the the team camaraderie part of it really really caught me. Um, and when I left sports, I never felt like I never thought I thought that would be the last time I'd be part of a team. And seeing the way that they operate in developing games, uh, you truly are a team, uh, a collective group of people working towards a common goal um, that are you know super passionate about it. And that's kind of I kind of put my resume in while I was waiting for next contract. And you know, and, and Cam Weber hired me to Radical. We started making basketball games together. Uh, lost the ESPN license, um, so we were no longer making sports games, which is you know, my, my passion at the time. And then um, EA had got the NCAA basketball license. So that was my ticket to get over to EA and start working in sports games again. Uh, but, you know, it's for me, you know, the, the most compelling part of the job is the people that I work with, um, getting to work as part of a team, driving towards a common goal and sports and video games at the end of the day. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not saving lives. We're making entertainment. Um, and so uh, I, I truly, you know, I haven't looked back. Now that you're on the other side of the equation, um, do you find the path that you took, you know, giving feedback, having that, you know, experience coming up through the the process, do you find that it gives you a, 
an extra perspective, a beneficial perspective on the the people who now are seeking to give you feedback? You know, do you interact with the fans more because you went that path yourself? Um, I think, so. um, you know, I don't know if, it, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily correlate the, the two, but I do believe in this world that we live in, especially where, uh, you know, we have a, a connection to fans. Fans have a direct line, multiple direct lines to us. Um, and ultimately, you know, ultimately if people don't like your game, if people aren't buying the game, you're, you're not going to be making it for much longer. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the fans, the consumers of our product are the, the most important thing that we have. And, and I'm, you know, my approach to feedback is we got to take feedback from everybody. Uh, if someone's got an opinion on the game, we want to hear your opinion. And then it's our job to decipher, you know, if you have that opinion, uh, how many other people have the same opinion as you? Uh, do you represent, you know, the, the masses? Are you, you know, an isolated case? And then uh, make decisions based on that. And I, even when we're making, you know, going through a development process and producers, designers are typically the people that are looked upon to come up with the creative ideas. Um, uh, I'll take I'll take an idea from anybody. I'll take an idea from a person on the street. I'll take an idea from a person on a different team in our studio, from our QA team. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter where the idea comes from. It's you know, uh, I'll take I'll take the idea from anybody. I take ideas from fans all the time. Uh, if it's going to make the product better and and you know make a more enjoyable experience for our fans, then uh, I'll, I'll take it. I don't I don't think there's a rule that producers and designers have a monopoly on all the good ideas for video games. So let's use that as a perfect segue into the shifting landscape, uh, or at least from my perspective, the shifting landscape of video games. Um, I was introduced to Fortnite over the last calendar year, uh, as a lot of people uh, are. Yeah. And, uh, and I got to admit, Fortnite has cut in drastically to my NHL time. Um, it used to be that the only reason I would ever buy a console was to play the the newest version of NHL, and this is going back to 94. You know, I bought a Sega Genesis just so I could play NHL 94. I bought a PlayStation 2, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and a few years ago, I think I talked to you about this a few seasons ago, I bought an Xbox so I could play NHL 15 or 16, I think, was the first one I got into this in the newer um, iteration so I could play with my friends online. And now, as I said, I wind up playing Fortnite, and it's this completely different experience. I'm wondering if – I know these games start years out, you know, you're you're starting to develop these games two, three years in advance of their release. But has the advent of the sort of battle royale uh, type of game has did that influence your decisions in any way when it came to, you know, setting up NHL 19? You know, you have the new World of Chell options uh, where you yeah you know modify and update and upgrade. Was that always in the plan, or or was some of that influenced by the the sort of shift? in focus in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I would say not, I would say for 19, not necessarily Fortnite specifically, but uh, we do understand in this kind of connected age that we live in, that we're in a competition for people's time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something like a, something like a Fortnite comes along and, you know, the sort of cultural relevance of a, of a game like Fortnite and everyone's playing it, all your friends are playing it. Uh, the social aspect of it, the, com- the competitive aspect of it, um, you know, is something we absolutely take into consideration. And so, I wouldn't say Fortnite specifically, uh, but when we were thinking about initial 19, um, you know, we call it time poverty was one of the things that we were, we were absolutely focused on. And, you know, if you, and you know this from playing the game uh, prior to NHL 19, if you wanted to play a game of NHL, um, you know, you had to sit down and you had to buckle in for 20 to 25 minutes mm-hmm. uh, to get your, you know, to get your game in. Um, and we didn't have an option for you. If you just wanted to you know, hop in and play, you only had five minutes or you only had 10 minutes. And, um, you know, leading up to it, I played a lot of uh, I played a lot of Overwatch, and I'm, that, Overwatch isn't necessarily my style of game, 
But what was compelling about it for me was um, I, I found myself a great first time user experience and getting me into the experience. Um, and it was five minute game sessions. And I found myself um, every time I had five minutes playing Overwatch because I could play it for five minutes. And when I found out was I quickly would play in my office. And next thing you know, I'm like, can I squeeze out another five minutes? Can I squeeze out another five minutes? And I, next thing you know, I'm playing the game for an hour, hour and a half, two hours in these five minute increments. And we didn't have that in NHL. We didn't have an option like that in NHL. And so, um, as we thought about, uh, our ones, our outdoor ones mode, um, that was very much an influence, um, on the mode and the way it's built right now. So you go into ones, it's a, it's three minutes. Um, so you, after three, you can literally go in there and play one match for three, one session for three minutes and hop out. Um, but with our rollover lobbies, uh, you, you know, if you win, you automatically just kind of roll over into the next game and we just keep you rolling and rolling and rolling. And, and the early feedback that we're seeing, the early um, data that we're seeing is people are actually playing longer in these shorter game sessions. Um, because I don't think, you know, you, you don't have to make that longer upfront commitment. Um, and if the experience is good and you're winning, um, you'll stick around to play longer. So the, the, the competition for time is the piece that absolutely influenced our design for 19. And, um, you know, when you, when you, when you play, you know, I'll, you know, I'll ask you this, when you play Fortnite, you know, what are you playing it for? What, what is the most compelling piece of it? The, the competition piece I'm, I'm, is probably part of it. You know, the, the, the quest to be the last man standing, probably the social <laughs> aspect of it too. All your friends are playing it. Um, and those are, you know, for me, when I play sports games, those are the two things that I play for. I play for the social aspect with my friends and also the competition because I like to compete. Uh, and, you know, sports game, Fortnite's done a fantastic job of delivering against those two motivations um, um, that are, you know, right in line with what sports games deliver as well. I think, I, I think the appeal for, for Fortnite, in my mind, um, when I play NHL 19, occasionally I'll, I'll, or 18 or 17, et cetera, you know, you'll wind up in a lobby with somebody who's just better than you, who's just so much better than you that there's very little you can do to stop them <laughs> or, or you're so much yep. better than them that it's almost not fun to play with them. Right. You know, you, or you get a, a goal, right. goalie that wants to troll the game. Um, you know, he thinks he's the next bacon country or something. And, and, you know, you sort of, yeah. you, you flushed away this 20 minute, 30 minute uh, thing for me, Fortnite, part of the appeal is that it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm dropping in with a right. hundred other people. They could be, terrible they could be excellent you never know there's no continuity um it's a social thing so i'm talking to my friends it's almost just as funny to get obliterated in 30 seconds as it can be to last for 10 minutes or 15 minutes um yeah absolutely and and so it becomes this sort of weird egalitarian you know you could wind up playing against ninja or you could wind up playing against the eight-year-old who's going to curse at you for 10 minutes and call you all sorts of names (laughs) um and, yeah. and so I don't yeah. have I don't have any emotional attachment to it. It's just sort of a novelty for me. And and as you said, you know the the games, you know the Fortnite matches are sort of time limited as the as the zone shrinks, and then and then you're done. Yeah. You can either play again or you can't. Whereas with NHL, I think because I have a 30 year relationship with the sport, and because um, it, you know sometimes I'm playing franchise mode, sometimes I'm playing online versus. You know, sometimes I'm embodying the players that I idolize. Other times I'm using a character that I've created. It's a much more personal relationship. And so I'm less inclined to do it when I'm in a casual mood, I guess. Um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So you've, uh, you've ch- tweaked Hut a little bit. You've added the world of Chell, which includes uh, NHL 1s, which is three three-man one-on-one 
games, which I find <laughs> really funny. Uh, probably the closest <laughs> thing to Fortnite because you can go in and just wreck people. Um, you brought back NHL 3s. Yeah. Uh, is NHL 3s still a popular element? Ha- has the hockey world sort of begun to turn on the notion of three-on-three as an entertaining novelty, or do you feel like it's still a strong, um, a strong element? Yeah, no, I, uh, we believe it's still a strong element. And we're seeing that by the uh, by the early usage numbers, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know, uh, you know, for us, we gotta be we gotta be careful with our with our our sports games specifically. Um, you know, you being a longtime gamer, you you understand how sort of the complexity of how games our sports games specifically have become more complex, more buttons on the controller, allow you to do more stuff uh, and make the game more authentic. But we gotta be careful that we don't alienate people as well to get. Uh, you get fearful because of all the complexity and, and threes was a, you know, threes is a, is a mode for typically for a more casual player. Uh, someone who, um, you know, doesn't need to be an expert in the sport, an expert in, in knowing all the players. It's a more kind of pick up and play type experience. Um, a lot of usage with, uh, you know, parents and kids playing it together, playing with the mascots together. Um, it's a nice little entryway in, and that's why we, you know, specifically put it into the world of Chell um as a more casual experience where you're still connected to the greater sort of ecosystem of the world of chell and you can progress your character and unlock kind of any items uh, by playing in the world of chell but um you know ultimately what we're trying to do is lower the barrier offer multiple experiences that lower the barrier of entry into the world of online team play because you know we believe strongly in sort of the social competition piece in the ea sports hockey league but it's not the easiest mode to get into so you know are there are there more sort of casual ways to get comfortable with playing with your character um, playing with teammates, um, with you know, with ones and with our pro am and with threes, uh, to hopefully then you can you know if you're a more casual player, then hopefully you and your friends then graduate to the A Sports Hockey League playing three v three or six v six, because we feel we believe that you know three v three, six v six, A Sports Hockey is you know one of the premium experiences that we have in the game. Um, it's just takes a little bit uh, to get over to so the barrier of entry and get you get you in there. So that's uh, that, that's kind of the mindset around the world gel and uh, the specific roles for. Uh, the outdoor ones when your friends are online or for pro-am. So to remove the intimidation of playing online so you can play against the CPU and get comfortable or play a more casual arcade inspired mode with, with, uh, with threes. Um, so that's how we, that's how we thought about these, you know, the, the ecosystem around the world of challenge connecting it is just uh, multiple experiences where they're all kind of connected um, to facilitate, you know, social competition. I've had a couple, a couple listeners, <clears throat> excuse me. I've had a couple listeners request that I stream myself playing the franchise mode, which I, I don't understand why anybody would want to watch me play the franchise mode. But <laughs> but so I opened up franchise mode and I started tinkering around in it. It's one of those modes that I've always loved in any version of the game, and yet I never see it through to the end. Um, it always ultimately winds up <laughs> overwhelming me and I drift back towards the more you know, casual, um, short-term versions. But one of the things we've talked about this in the past, one of the things that fascinates me about the franchise mode is just how detailed and intricate it is. You know, in the past you could repair your bathrooms, you could set your, um, sponsorship nights, you know, you give away bobbleheads, set your budgets and everything. This year you've added scouting staffs. You can now hire a full scouting staff. And in the past you would sort of assign one scout to one region for up to six weeks, I think. Now I've got a, a, scout, a scouting staff of like 15 guys, each of them assigned to a specific region, a specific league, and I can and I can get them down to scouting specific players um, for as short as I think one week to as long as a season, if I'm not mistaken. 
where was the decision yep. to go even more granular with the franchise mode? Yeah, it's it's really uh, coming directly from fans and listening to kind of listen to fan feedback based on you know what we did last year and you know what the next big piece that they wanted to see added, um, and and you know the our direction our kind of multi year plan for franchise mode comes directly from fans and and you know pulling them and doing research and seeing what they want to see next, what's the next biggest piece that they feel is missing, or uh, they want to see added to the experience just to 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 make it as, as good as it possibly could be. Um, so yeah, the, you know, the franchise, you know, our franchise fans are, uh, you know, into all of the details and, and people love the owner elements. Some people don't like the owner elements. People love, um, you know, the managerial aspects of it. And some people just like to, you know, take the favorite team and just play the games with their team and see if they can win a Stanley cup. Uh, a lot of people just play it so they can create the Hartford Whalers as part of expansion. So there's <laughs> lots of different reasons why people play franchise mode. Um, and so we, we, every year, you know, with our franchise mode, just take the feedback from the fans and, uh, um, you know, and, and make a call to look for what they're looking for. So now we come to the part where I have to give just a, well, a splash of negative feedback. Um, on the whole, obviously love the game. I've seen tons of tons of positive reviews. I agree with all of them. This is, I think, a huge step up from NHL 18. Not that there was, I didn't have any complaints with NHL 18. Um, I think that's the nice, <laughs> the nicest thing one can say about a new product is that it made me realize yep. that, I, that the older product was inferior, whereas I was perfectly happy with the older product. Um, my only minor question, and I have this of the league in general, I don't think it's unique to, to your product. Um, certain players are, are mis, uh, are mispositioned. And I'm I'm curious yeah. how that happens. <laughs> uh, as in playing the wrong position? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just a that's literally just a database error. Is all it is. I'm, I'm assuming. Um, I mean, the league so, has Tyler Toffoli yeah. listed as a center, and he's never taken a single game as a center. But um, but yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's it's literally well, my only minor complaint. And I just go into you know edit a player, and I edit it. Yeah, there's actually a couple things. A couple things there. So, uh, first and first and foremost, um, there's there's just mistakes that we make when we enter the database. We have to do you know try and get you know, over six thousand players plus players correct. <laughs> sure. uh, so mistakes are going to happen. That's first and foremost. Um, so there's no there's no excuses for that part of it. Um, the second piece is just the way that our game is built and our technology is built. Um, we only have a certain amount of roster spots, uh, uh-huh. and so sometimes um, before the rosters are locked, we need to hedge some bets on which of the players that we think are going to make a team, even though we don't know exactly what position they're going to play or what lines they're going to be on. And so we try to make an educated guess on what the starting rosters are going to be, knowing that we can't include rookies until they play their first game in the NHL. Um, And then what we'll do is once the first kind of couple games happen and the the rookies play the first game and we see what the lines are uh, and who's playing what position, then we'll go through and we'll do a roster update as fast as we possibly can to get all that stuff correct. Um, so a lot of it is just to make sure that guys like Capoli are on the on the on the actual roster, um, as opposed to having to leave them off because there's a log jam on on the wing or something like that. So that's there's, there's two parts to it. So I'm always one of the things I'm always impressed with is the the depth of player you can find, right? Whether it's foreign leagues, uh, junior hockey, minor leagues in North America. There's no NCAA players. I'm assuming that's an issue with. Uh, with marketing rights for the NCAA, is there any uh, attempt to to bring them into the game, or is that just too much of a, a bureaucratic nightmare to even attempt? 
Yeah, the uh, the SLA is a tough one, a tough one right now, just from a licensing perspective. Um, uh, you're starting to see some games, some sports games out there right now, kind of having the um, you know a license to deal with the schools, but not not the players. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of games that are doing that right now. So it's interesting territory right now. We'll see. You know, we're seeing more and more college players coming and making the NHL and having an impact. Uh, so it's something that we need to absolutely look at um, because you know they're they're now a, a much bigger part of the rookie classes every single year. Uh, but there's a yeah, it's not uh, not not super simple from a licensing perspective though. I'm sure. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining me. Once again, an excellent product. Uh, it has improved my life considerably, although I'm sure uh, some people would <laughs> would argue otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I appreciate your time and all the hard work you do. Thank you very much, and thanks again for having me. I love chat with you every single year. All right, talk to you soon, Cameron. All right, have a good one. 